uh, Skullboys. The Street Press Podcast with Sean Fraser. For a start, there are not enough white men doing podcasts. I've got to always support that when that comes along. I was talking to a mate today at a baby queue. We didn't cook a baby. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that yeah. was. I just want to thank you. Yeah, no, it was me. He wouldn't shake our hand until he finished putting on his glove. Imagine what he's like during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got you here for the podcast after your big night last oh. night, so I'm stoked with that. I get a thrill knowing that you're doing what you're doing. That's good. Well, I don't know what I'm doing today. We're just sort of just winging it. Did you moon Kylie Minogue? Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Street Press Podcast. My name is Sean Fraser. Good to have you here this week, listening, tuning in wherever you are, whether you're out walking at the moment or you're in your car driving or you got me playing out of a stereo somewhere, maybe on a construction site. Thank you for listening. And uh, we've got a cracking episode today. Got Otto from Sleep Makes Waves. Now, they are an instrumental post-rock band. Uh, they've been around for quite some time now, and especially in Australia, they're one of the uh, top tier in the genre. Otto is also in his own uh, side project band as well, which is called Highways. We have a chat about that. Um, we spoke about plenty in this episode. Uh, grilled cheese sandwiches, heartbreak, and how writing about it can get you through dark times. We also spoke about uh, managing the work band balance, sometimes having to beg the employer to let you go on tour, that sort of thing. We talk about what it's like to play in a band without a singer and what it's like to have all those eyes on you. See, I always thought that if you're in a band that didn't have a singer and you were, say, the guitarist or the bass player, that more of the pressure is then on you to perform. We talk about songwriting, what that is like without having a lyricist. Uh, I was obviously very intrigued to see how the writing process works for Sleep Makes Waves. And we also talk about this new record that the band has on the way. It is about to be released. When is it going to be released? Well, you'll have to find out. (laughs) How was that? How was that for a tease? All right, let's bring you on. This is Otto Wicks Green from the band Sleep Makes Waves. I um, just had a absolutely fantastic uh, grilled cheese. Nice. I made it, I made it with um, this stuff called goguchang. Goguchang. It's like a Korean chili bean paste. So I put like a thin layer of that, two yep. different types of cheese, and then some fried shallots. And then I like fried that up in the pan. And it was like perfect balance. There's a little bit of spice, some uh, onion given from the fried shallots. Really easy. Oh, that's good. Nice and filling. Yeah. Yeah. So ready. <laughs> I've had four coffees, so, um, you know, I, I'm up early. I'm up at like just a quarter to 3 a.m. every morning, so. That's so early. It's, it's like it's like back to late again. Like, <laughs> like this time of day is like late at night for me, it feels. I don't have it. I don't nap either. So I was working it out on the drive the other day. I was like, so if I get up at quarter to three and I don't go to bed till like 8 30 at night so I literally only have like six hours of sleep um every day so that's mental it's probably going to send me crazy I would need to nap if I had six hours constantly I'm a big napper well the thing is with the nap you wake up from the nap drool everywhere yeah (laughs) so tired and uh you're just so disorientated it's just such a Oh, it's just such a weird one. So I don't like to do it because of that reason. I, I and I can't sleep again at night. So um 
Yeah. I don't know. Some people would just tell me to get a, a normal job with normal hours, but <laughs> <laughs> but how are you, Otto? Are you going all right? Yeah, I am doing good, thank you. Just um technically supposed to be at work, so actually I probably shouldn't say that. Uh let's just say I'm <laughs> Hanging, chilling out. <laughs> That's cool. Um, what, was it a sickie? Was it, or did we just not go there? Oh no, I'm just um working from home. Um, oh, cool. like like many in the the white collar email job sector. Um, so I can take a an hour for lunch break. Let's put it that way. Beautiful. And, and how many days are you doing from home? And how many days at the office? It's usually I, I work four days a week. I keep the Friday up my sleeve for music stuff, and I work three days. Currently with my current role, three days at home and one day in the office in North Sydney. Do you like it or do you get sick of it? Well, that's a funny one. I've talked to a lot of people about this, like musos who have are either in a similar situation to me, balancing the double life versus those who are successful enough or brave enough or both to, to do music full time. Um, short answer is, oh my God, yeah, I get sick of it. I wish I could uh, just do the stuff that I really love, but um that's very difficult. <laughs> um, and by stuff I really love, I mean, you know, playing a loud rock band and trash <laughs> around on stage and travel around the world all the time. We did Sleep Makes Waves full time for a year and a half, a couple of years. Yeah. Um, when we got an advance on our third album and it enabled us to just sort of pay the band members a little wage. Um, but the interesting discussion I've had with people who do do it full time is, I suppose, around the nature of like the grass is always greener if you do music and that as a passion full time and that's your life and that's your career, your relationship with it is different than mm. if it's something that you cherish and something that you only get to do every now and then and something that you have to plan around. Um, I get to maintain my relationship with creativity and music as something that's like kind of sacred and special. See, I, I do love my job. I know at the start we would talk, I was I was joking about getting normal hours and stuff. And yeah. I know my hours are crazy, but I do love my job. And I play music. I don't want to say on the side. I don't like saying that, but um, it's it's my passion. But it, it's nice when you've got a job that you like and you get to do your music and they both can work together, isn't it? It's quite fulfilling. Yeah. It's a balance that can be challenging. I remember when I was first starting out um, with Sleep Makes Waves getting more serious uh, with touring and stuff. And we were, and I was just starting out um, at a big consultancy firm. Uh, this would have been back in 2011, 2012. And my God, like we got all these opportunities to go to like South by Southwest, which was awesome, oh. and touring in Europe. Uh, just as I was starting this job, and so I was having to like, like, inc- like so nervous and uh, guilty, like asking for leave and stuff. I remember um, band manager Mike Solo encouraging me, saying like, "They're not going to fire you for asking." Yeah. Uh, so I did ask, and thankfully, the company I was working for at the time were actually quite chill. People have tended with me to be quite sympathetic to the cause of like, I suppose because it's so mad, like playing in an instrumental rock band and trying to make that a thing. They've always just gone, you know what, just just do it. And in that respect, like being able to maintain a career alongside doing music stuff has been quite valuable. There's certainly been times when it's felt overwhelming and frustrating and like um, impossible. There have been times like that. And also like pointless, like what, why am I spending most of my time doing this stuff that I feel like I sort of have to do and I don't get too much enjoyment out of? Why can't I just do the stuff I love? Like all those questions can swirl around, but fundamentally maintaining one foot in a pretty serious corporate career track 
alongside music has enabled me to um, do a lot of things that I wouldn't have been able to otherwise. I mean, things like basic quality of life stuff, living in a nice suburb in Sydney, I live in, in Newtown here, having that kind of uh, stability to come back to after a tour. And how thankful are you that your, uh, you know, your bosses have enabled you to go and do things like South by Southwest? Because can you imagine that you regret if you had to keep saying no to all these opportunities? Well, I mean, back then it would have been, it would have been a really interesting one. I would have been just crazy enough to consider just, just quitting and doing something else if it meant that I couldn't do the touring. And at that point in my life, it was just everything I wanted, and I yeah. can't imagine much getting in the way. I, I honestly don't know what would have happened. Um, and I think maybe my bosses at the time sort of knew that and they didn't really want to lose um, a grad to the program. Uh, I didn't want to make any ultimatums, of course. I wouldn't have had the balls to. But, yeah, I was lucky that there was some flexibility there. Oh, well, I'm glad that you're able to do both. And I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that love uh, that, you know, you're able to to work and, and play in the band. Now, Sleepway makes waves. First instrumental artist we've had on. Tell me about the start of the band. You weren't there. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But you came along at a bloody good time. Yeah. Well, I was, it's a funny story. I was um, associated with the band. I was, I was good mates with the guys by the time I joined because I was a big fan. I was very young. I was about 17 maybe when I first discovered Sleep Makes Waves and they'd only been a band for about a year at that point. They just released a two track demo that got them some attention from a net label called Lost Children. This was back, back in 2007 six even. Um, and I caught them. I, I discovered them somehow online on an internet forum. And uh, I started chatting to their guitarist, Tom, and I went along and I bloody loved it. I love the combination of raw downtuned new metal power with these like lush electronic textures and this kind of romantic post-rock energy. It was all the things that I was really into at the time. And so I basically went to every show. I went to Manly Fish shows, the Excelsior, the Hope Town. I traveled to Melbourne to see them play. Yeah. Like Annandale had all back in those days. I was a fixture like at the gigs. And then when Tom Binetta, who was one of the founding members and the guitarist at the time, um for 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 his personal circumstances, he had to leave the band. And uh, he sort of said to the guys, I think you should get this guy in. <laughs> so they didn't actually publicize the audition process. It was never open. They just like basically gave me a, a shot and I worked my ass off, turned up with uh, my tiny little Vox amp, my Les Paul and a pocket full of dreams. That's really cool. And that story sort of reminds me of Sid Vicious. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think he was like, he, except you knew how to play your instrument. I think he sort of like was, he was, he was in the crowd and he saw um, Sex Pistols playing and was like, oh, yeah, he followed him around everywhere and then eventually they got him in the band, but uh, he couldn't play. Amazing. <laughs> it was similar to John Frusciante too. He was a fan of the Chili Peppers before oh, yeah. um, before he joined um, after Hillel died in the 80s and John that like knew them because he was like a fan as well. So it's it's a bit of a trope now. <laughs> well, a bit like John. I mean, you add so much to the band, you know. Oh, uh, thank and, you. And you know when John's missing, you know, those years where he was missing, uh, it, it just missed that, I don't know. I'm a big John fan. I love I love what it does. I, I like records that are a bit more divisive as well, like By The Way. Um, I know that's not a fan favourite, but I bloody love it. I love his harmonies and his approach to melody and his guitar playing on that album and, and Californication, obviously, Blood Sugar, awesome. But, um, yeah, I really like the lush melodic stuff that he does. Yeah, that that clean tone in the guitars, uh, some of those riffs that he comes up with. Yeah, one of my favorite guitarists, actually, John Frusciante, big fan. 
There you go. Hey, when it comes to uh, playing a gig, is it more intimidating that there's no lead singer in the way of like, do you feel more pressure that more people are looking at what you're doing? I would say it's the opposite, that we feel constantly insecure that people aren't going to care what we're doing <laughs> and that the lead singer is traditionally the, the the focal point, the lightning rod. Part of the job of the lead singer is like not just to sing the songs, but it's to do the show and keep the audience kind of engaged. And the minute that you sense that they're, you're losing them, you can pull them back in with an ad lib or with a, a move, you know, we have to rely generally on our own performance, like the physicality of our performance and the strengths of the songs themselves. And then I suppose the live sound to get people over the line. And I think a lot of our career, the kind of journey has been convincing people who might've never heard of post-rock or might've never seen an instrumental band that this is worth their time and that they can get something out of this performance. Um, And we've, always started on that back foot. I think like a lot of the time supporting bands who have singers playing with those kinds of bands and hopefully along the way, you know, getting people this, this moment of like, I don't know what I'm looking at, but this is cool. Yeah. Uh, If we can get to that point, then we've done something right. When it comes to songwriting, obviously the way I see it, uh, I, I sort of write a song around lyrics and, um, you know, it's sort of led, I suppose, by lyrics and um, melodies from a vocal. Talk me through how it works with Sleep Makes Waves. I'm really intrigued by it. It's an, a, a process that's changed over the years. Um, it's never quite the same. I can describe how it is now, but it probably wouldn't be quite how it was at the beginning. I will say that um, melody is one thing that we really, really strive to implement well in our music. And I think it's something that we do maybe a little differently to other post-rock bands is this relentless focus on memorable melodies and melodies that um, even without a singer that get stuck in your head and that you can follow like a storyline through the narrative of a song. And although we don't follow conventional verse chorus structure, there are rules to songwriting well that we still do try to utilize. Like foreshadowing melodic moments that will come back and and come back to the end using um, dynamics to open things up and bring things down to create interest using repetition um, using theme and variation in those melodies and then uh, similar textures. So we're always trying to create songs that are a satisfying listen, like they're a complete meal. Um, In terms of the process, we used to do a, a bit of jamming, Um, But we found that it got to a point where it was too variable. Like sometimes you'd strike gold and in the process of the jamming, you'd actually solve some musical problems that you were stuck on successfully. And you would end up in a place where you're like, holy shit, like this song is sick. I love it. Unfortunately, that would happen rarer and rarer. And quite often we'd end up going down alleys, I suppose, or solutions that we didn't really believe in. And all of these kinds of issues are difficult to solve live in the room. And often you'll end up getting just frustrated and disagreeing. So we found that what works best is for each of us individually, we'll often like actually just work on songs ourselves and only present them to the group if we get stuck or when we like are at a point where we want that new feedback to come in. I think the best music is actually the the stuff that's demoed and progressed. Usually the idea is that you all come up with together and you jam around sometimes i don't know i've known in bands over the years that sort of the idea gets out of place and gets whacked but if someone 
takes initiative and gets 75% through the demo, you're going to end up having quite a good song. Exactly. And it just, it's an easier process because that person's taken the time to probably fix a lot of the things or to solve a lot of the, the questions. You can, if you just start with a riff, I mean, there's a million different places that riff could go. We all do generally maintain the power of the veto. So if two people like it, um, then the other one will generally go, all right, unless they, <laughs> unless they veto. <laughs> yeah. How do you go with someone in the band coming up to you and going, Hey, you know, maybe it's a riff that you like, and then you really want it there and someone doesn't want it there. How do you go with that sort of criticism? Yeah, it's, it's tricky. Uh, it depends. It's kind of like being in a relationship, I guess. It's like, what things are you prepared to really fight for and <laughs> use that, use that kind of, uh, social credit on, you know, like yeah. if you're constantly being like, Oh, I can't handle that. I can't handle that. Then it's like, you can t- sort of just self-regulate and go like, I'm being too difficult. You have to let some stuff through to the keeper. It's just a question of deciding which things are most important to you musically. Like sometimes I've let stuff through that in hindsight, like I regret, like I should have fought harder on this thing. Uh, that melody or that sound to me now is like, kind of uh, corny or whatever. And like, I regret not digging my heels in, but I'm sure that at the time, maybe I'd won some victories over some other things. And I was like, well, look, I'll let these guys have this one. We, we agree almost all the time on most things. Like me, Alex and Tim are usually like all on the same page and we get excited by each other's ideas. We don't resist them. It's just when, when it happens, you need to have a kind of process in place, but generally because we've known each other for so long and there's so much love and affection between us. I mean, those guys are like, I joked once while I was drunk on tour that they're like the loves of my life. Um, you always you always work it out in the end. Yeah, of course. It's funny. It's like music is is the most important thing for some of us. But at the end of the day, after you've had an argument over music, it's funny. Two or three days later, you think about it and you go, it is just music. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's the most important thing. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's both. It, 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 like I remember there's a line from Devin Townsend where he's like, and music, well, that's just entertainment, folks. It's almost like him telling himself that, like, just relax, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, I want to talk about your other project, but before we get there, you did bring up earlier that the record label put forward some money for a couple of years so that you guys could just purely focus on music. That's a wild thing to think about, isn't it? Like, not, not everyone gets that chance. It was really cool. It was our distribution company mgm and they they like gave us an advance on like a sort of like a pre-order i guess where they bought already a bunch of copies of the record yeah and we were able to use that money and put it towards both the production of the album and just like living and upstepping the touring rig so we were very grateful for that it was um really awesome and it um enabled us to live like one of the best couple of years of the band's life i think it was music the whole time you weren't doing anything else or it was music the whole time i moved back in with my parents time it would have been 2017 for a year Ah, (laughs) living the life yeah that's the post-rock dream my friend (laughs) (laughs) hey this uh new band you've got highways it's a band where there is a singer yeah (laughs) (laughs) tell me about it absolutely so highways has been uh, a glint in my eye for a man a long time now almost 10 years it would have been around 2013 yeah, about 10 years, 2014 even, that um, I was writing demos. Didn't have a band name yet. Actually, the band, the first band name that we came up with, I was doing some work with Alex at the time. We came up with the band name Love of Cartography. And then we ended up stealing that and using it as an album title because we liked it so much. 
I switched gears on that and called it highways. And so Max Waves got so busy in the mid 2010s that I just like dropped it for a while. I came back to it in 2017 after a relationship breakup and sort of poured my heart into some of these songs. But I, I, I lost faith in them. I got into my head. I released them. They're actually available on Bandcamp and they're not bad, um, yep. but I just always felt like they weren't quite good enough. So I never really pushed it. And it was only in the last couple of years that um, I met this guy uh, at a kick on called Michael Cardell, who's like an engineer and a keyboardist. And we got on really well. And um, I was telling him about some of this music I've been working on. He was so enthusiastic and was so keen to hear it because we both bonded over our mutual love of like 90s rock and the war on drugs. Nice. And then meanwhile, I'd been sitting down with a good friend of mine, uh, Josh Josh, who you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we were jamming as well around that time. And uh, we, we'd actually worked on some songs together, but we were just going in slightly different directions. And we kind of recognized that pretty early. So he went on to do his stuff and I kept going with the highway stuff. Perhaps we'll pick those songs up again one day because they were quite good that we did together. And then we had our mutual friend, Steve DeWild, um, sitting in on those sessions. He's an amazing drummer. He's actually an artist manager and he manages um, the Ryans and Safia, who are amongst others who are great bands, but he's also a killer drummer. So I had Steve and I had Michael, Josh was sort of there. And then I had one of my best mates, who's a, a killer music producer, Nathan Sheehy. And I'd always wanted to work with him on a, on a bigger project. And so I got in with him very early in the process after I'd locked down a bunch of demos, but they were still kind of malleable, like where they'd go and how they'd sound. And Nathan's philosophy to music production was a huge part of what informed the end result of this band, which is he's very focused on process, not outcome. He always says he's like a Zen master with this shit. Cause I think like, oh, I want it to sound like this. And it's got to be like eighties um, disco balls and synths meeting the grittiness. <laughs> of he's like, look, let's just follow the process of making each song the best it can be. And then at the end, we'll sort of have a sense of what it is. But the important thing for us to do is enjoy ourselves as we're making this and, and make each song the best it can be on its own terms. And it was really wonderful working with him from the beginning. Um, he brought so much to the pre-production process and then to the production process. And I suppose looking back, like the Highways project was was really just like a lot of my mates getting together and working on stuff and and making stuff in a really lovely, low pressure and um and and kind of nice way. Uh, there was a lot of love in 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 the songs, which were often about um you know, me dealing with another relationship breakup. Oh, oh my God. Um, and uh, so there was some sadness and grief in the music. Uh, but it was like a healing process for me working through that stuff with with these wonderful people. Now, breakups, that's when you're at your most real when it comes to songwriting, isn't it? I mean, songwriting is one of the best ways to sort of get yourself out of a situation like that uh, instead of drinking or um, drugging your brains out. Yeah, yeah. It was certainly a combination of the three. Um, <laughs> I've always struggled with writing happy music I've tried and sometimes I've pulled off like getting close to writing decent stuff. That's generally sounding pretty uplifting and happy, but it's a skill I've really struggled with. Um, I, I tend to be at my best and my sharpest when I'm dealing with emotions around sadness and loss. I like using major chords for sad topics. Like I like using happy sounding chords, but writing music that can be sad and expressing that in interesting ways. I like doing those kinds of contrasts. But I generally find that um, music for me is like a therapy. It's a self-therapy. And if I'm going through some negative thing, it's almost like a, a reflex to want to express and describe that stuff. 
I always find with songwriting, I need a problem inside of me that I need to fix. And the fix is writing it down on paper. But if I don't have a problem inside of me, to be honest, I'm, unlucky i mean there isn't really too much to to groan about but the problem with that is i'm like what the fuck do i write about <laughs> yeah i know what you mean i struggle with that sometimes i considered getting a little bit more political with my writing like i've loved sam fender recently and he's done so well and his um writing is inherently political i mean a lot of what he writes about is some of the material conditions of growing up in working class suburbs in england and reflecting on some of the impacts that that had. And I think that there is a lot of injustice in the world. And I've always thought like, if like one day I'd like to get more explicitly political, if not like super didactic and not like, this is good, this is bad, but like Sam's so wonderful with his songwriting because he'll just gesture towards the fact that, you know, he was on benefits and his mother was trying to like desperately get some more money in the house to feed the family and that the social services department in England just saw a number the DWPC number, I, tr- I cry on my floor encumbered, I'm 17 going under. Like that song was just this smash, smash hit and such an incredible piece of music. And he weaves those themes in so beautifully. And I care a lot about that stuff. Um, and I'm quite a political person. So as I develop as a songwriter, I would like to transcend from the very personal into something a bit more general. Do you think about who's listening when you're writing a song? Do you care for that sort of side? Some people do, but others like to just write what's inside them, get it out there. If people like it, they enjoy it. I think I'm in that latter category. It's an interesting question. I've, I've never really thought of it before. I, I, I care that the music is good and I, and I don't want to just be writing stuff that people are going to listen to and go like, oh, this just sounds like a guy complaining with a guitar. <laughs> Like, I think ultimately music as a communication tool, like it needs to, like like any art, I guess, it's only as successful as what it makes you feel when you experience it. So whether that's like a beautiful painting or whether it's a, you know, a film or whether it's a song, I think a song is successful if a stranger hears it and connects to it and goes, oh my God, this has brought clarity or perspective or made me feel less alone um, hearing this. That's a successful song. When I'm writing, I'm not in the mind space of like, oh, I need to use this word here because more people will identify with it. And, and, I, and I'd, I'd struggle to even see how how I could write like that. I think it has to be incredibly personal and it has to be incredibly authentic for it to have a chance of really moving people. It's very interesting, isn't it? Like sometimes when I haven't had anything to write and I might get a bit fancy with some of the words that I'm using and stuff. And I'll be like, Oh, that's okay. But then something bad happens to me. And then I write it down on paper so simply. And then if I listen to both of them back through the voice memos, it's always the one that, that meant something that just always pierces through, doesn't it? Yeah. It has the staying power, the stuff that's written, especially in that moment um, when it is a very real expressive gesture. It's a real, um, act of getting something out as opposed to a more calculated or controlled songwriting thing. And I know that that's how a lot of pop songwriters work. Like they'll get in a room, like a team of like really great songwriters and they'll just be able to almost imagine a situation around which they're going to write the song. They'll imagine a, like, what is this song going to be about? That That's what I really amazes me that they can kind of pick something out of the air. Like, all I can think of is Teenage Dream by Katy Perry. I don't know. Yeah, why that'll do. That's like a Max Martin song, right? So he'd have a team of people. Maybe Katy's there. Maybe she's not. But they're like, we're going to write a song about how being in love with this person makes me feel like I'm a teenager again. And it's going to have all of this 
romance and nostalgia and whimsy. And then out of that, they'll sit there and like a kind of, they're making this world as opposed to it being what it's often felt like for me, which is like, oh, I need to be true to what I'm feeling and get that out. But I think crossing that bridge as a songwriter from it being all about what you have to say in a given moment, which is kind of reliant, like the weather on how you're feeling or what you're going through. And maybe isn't a very reliable um, methodology, especially if it was to become a career. I think you have to be able to make up the circumstance much like an actor has to just get into character. Yeah. And they do really well. Those, those songwriters, I know that someone for someone like Katy Perry, for example, they'll have like six or seven, maybe eight people in a room writing a song. And that, that idea that, you know, we, we make up this scenario that people can relate to. It's cool. That's quite a skill in itself, isn't it? Oh my God. Yeah. And I guess we only hear all the great pop songs that have gotten through. There'd be a million and one that like, don't yeah yeah so many songwriting sessions that have gone that have produced a song that that hasn't made it or has gone nowhere or hasn't like ever seen the light of day you were saying earlier uh with highways you know things are things are a bit free-flowing you know you could sort of you're writing this you're doing this you know you probably got as as much time as you want to write highway stuff um do you feel the pressure with sleep wank waves because it's sort of uh obviously you guys are quite big you're quite well known every time you sort of got to write a song or record a song there must be some sort of pressure there we're very slow i mean covid was was brutal covid really knocked us around um because we couldn't tour for three and a half years which was very painful um and in that time we recorded and we wrote we've got actually a huge backlog of writing now it is heaps (laughs) and we have an ambition to get faster with actually releasing music putting out more stuff more often unfortunately it does move quite slowly i sometimes do get a bit frustrated We've recorded this next album. We recorded it in July or June last year. Mm-hmm. And we're still waiting on one last day in the studio to finalize some additional um, instru- instrumental stuff. So like strings and woodwinds, some uh, some new arrangements. And then it'll be another six, seven months before we can get the vinyl printed. It's not that much that I feel the pressure. It's that I get a bit frustrated. It's like I, would, I wish things would go quicker. Um, that's partly why I wanted to do another project to kind of keep scratching that itch of getting stuff out there the pressure i put is, is mainly from myself like i have a demand like a, a insatiable urge to keep doing stuff and making yeah. stuff happen i'm the same you just got to keep going hey it's like there's no time to sort of just sit and twiddle your thumbs because that's yeah. boring as all shit yeah i hate that <laughs> i feel like i'm wasting time i'm losing time that's good so new sleep makes waves it could be uh six months away it could be 12 years away um it's it's coming <laughs> Hopefully within the next eight months, hopefully. Okay, cool. And Highways, what's happening there? You've got some gigs coming up. Yeah, so we're playing, uh, launching our second single called Paper Thin. Um, it's going to come out March 17 on uh, streaming everywhere, and then we're going to play a, a show in support of that at the Vic on the Park. And this is all leading up to the release of our first EP, uh, which will be called The Sky Would Fall In, and that'll be out. Uh, we don't have a firm date yet, but hopefully in June. Um, and we'll pull together some shows for that. I'd love to get to Melbourne and Brisbane um, as well as Sydney for, for for that launch, just play a couple of shows in those cities. All right. Otto, thanks so much for jumping on the Street Press podcast. We've covered heartbreak. We've covered uh, <laughs> playing without singers, with singers, the whole bit. So uh, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, it's, we won't say anything to your work about what's happened here. Yeah, right yeah. As far as I know, this was <laughs> was recorded at six o'clock. <laughs> on a Saturday. Um, on a Saturday, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs>
Yes, there he is. That is Otto Wicks Green from Sleep Makes Waves. Thank you so much for jumping on and taking some time out of work to jump on the Street Press podcast. You are a legend. We'll have you on once the band releases that new record. All right, it's time for this. Yeah, this is the part of the show where you can write on in, hit up the streetpresspodcast.com forward slash letters. You write it, I'll read it. Uh, Jim Holmberg, he's hit up my YouTube channel actually. He says, to my cover of The Mayfly by Millencolin. I did like an acoustic version of that song. I really love it. Uh, and Jim seems to as well. He says, really good. Love it, mate. Millencolin have always been my favourite since 1997. They are an bloody good band and uh, obviously we had Eric on the show a couple of weeks ago thanks for writing in Jim Uh, don't forget you can write in too and you can become a member of the street press we opened up memberships the other week Uh, four dollars a month is (laughs) I always laugh at that because uh, it's not $4 a week, it is $4 a month. You can be a member of the Street Press podcast and you're probably wondering, what do you get? You get your name in the draw to win prizes, you get access to the members area, which I'm really excited about. I'm about to open up the members area this week. So for the members out there who have joined, uh, keep your eyes on your email uh, inside the members area. There's a bunch of uh, cool stuff. I've got an exclusive blog on there where I ramble about uh, gigs that I've played at all the uh, the bizarre and entertaining stories that have come along with playing gigs and, and the tour diaries. I've also got, I'm pumped for this, a band marketing tutorial. So if you're an artist or you're in a band uh, and you need some help with your social media, I've got like a video course on there that you can take. And also another cool feature for members only, it's the ask a question section. You can have a look on there at the artists who are coming up on the show. Usually I don't let anyone know this, but uh, the members can click the little drop down, find an artist that's coming up that I haven't interviewed yet and write a question that they'd like me to ask. Um, Hopefully, you know, one of them is one of your favourite artists and you can ask a question directly to them through there. As for the Ritzy Kids, we are playing a show with the Bennies. Next Wednesday, the 8th of March at Wombrel Ocean View Cafe, Wednesday night. But we're going to have plenty of beers and be really hungover for work the next day. We'd love to see you there. Also, we are going to be playing our brand new single, which comes out this Friday. It's called Dark Blue Sky. It is probably one of our favourite songs that we've got at the moment that we've been working on. It's, uh, it's quite a deep, dark song. We love playing it and we want to play it to you next Wednesday, the 8th of March. The song comes out this Friday, so uh, keep your ears out for that. It's going to be out on Spotify and everywhere, anywhere that you stream. And until then, next week, we're going to have someone else from the music industry right here on the Street Press Podcast. We'd love to have you here for that. Ta-da. Ta-da.